Good evening, you're all listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Today, I'm joined by freelance writer and host of the Total Massacre podcast, Rowan Kaiser. Hello. And we also welcome back our friend from PC Mag, Mike Williams. Hello, hello, folks. How's everybody doing today? Uh, doing pretty well, actually. Uh, I am in the one pocket of the country that's not uh, enduring a massive heat wave. Uh, so I really have no cause for complaint and consider myself pretty lucky. I'm excited that Mike is doing the full radio voice for us. <laughs> uh, I, 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 there's a little heat up here, but we have air conditioning, which I know is wild to some people, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I have air conditioning too, but let me tell you, uh, it is very quick to fall behind, uh, when the heat is bad, there's air conditioning and then there's like good air conditioning. And, uh, <laughs> I think a lot of us are in that boat where it's like, yeah, I can sort of, I can sort of condition the air. Uh, provided there's not too much of it i can keep it 10 degrees below what it is outside yeah exactly exactly um all right so today we are going to be discussing uh sword and axes dark deity which has been broadly described as sort of a fire emblem style tactics game available on pc uh it is a a rpg tactics game uh you know playing out on a square grid and rowan you fell pretty far down uh this rabbit hole when it first came out what's what's dark deity about and what makes it interesting um like when you say fire emblem like it's kind of unfair to just say yeah this is a fire emblem wannabe for most things but this is a game that you look at and you would say yeah they're starting from a fire emblem base here um this is it, it looks very much like a JRPG tactics game. It has a really nice little 2D pixel art and animations. Uh, that's one of the first things that made me sit up and say, ooh, I will check this out. Um, and then a big thing with tactics games is that they tend to either be insanely simple or way, 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 way too complex this is a game that has gone towards the simple route. So this is basically a simple, fast-playing tactics game with a nice little pixel art and a fairly conventional story about evil magic awakening and kings being secretly stupid and, uh, you know, a bunch of heroes going off and learning to be heroic on their own instead of just following orders. Yeah, there's there's definitely been a sort of not recent but semi-recent indie thing of i'll just do it myself um and dark deity is definitely like old school fire emblem version of that uh the other one i played like last year was fell seal which was final fantasy tactics but not yeah we we never ended up doing a show on that one i think because we sort of played it at staggered time oh, wait that but looks yeah, cool <laughs> Yeah, it is, cool. is it's 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 great. Uh the only thing I, I my biggest problem with Felsil was the art style. I just don't like the character art, but as a Final Fantasy Tactics homage, spiritual successor, yeah. whatever, it's actually pretty good. I tell you, I, I dig the environment art though. I will say that. Yes. Yeah. I, I'm roughly in the same boat as Mike. The aesthetics were a little generic, but the the ideas were there, and I think this is something that really connects it to Dark Deity is that like 
there's a simplicity. Simplicity is not quite the right word. There is a lack of overwhelming amounts of bullshit that 90s JRPGs tended to have. Um, (laughs) Like... I'll just launch into this right now. I have a thing where I describe like JRPGs as having numbers of bullshit. A JRPG can have like one level of bullshit and that's great. Like here is your thing. Like, you know, Final Fantasy VII has materia. Here's your materia bullshit. This is a fairly conventional RPG in every other way. You just like have these magical stones that grow with your characters. It can be switched back and forth. It depends on the web. Yeah, it's like, Everything kind of flows in and out of this one core mechanic, this one bullshit. Uh, But then games that start adding bullshits uh, start really struggling, I think. Um, And this is why I tend to only really like playing throwback JRPGs. Um, Things like uh, the Bravely Default games have like six different layers of class changes and combat switches and all these... Uh, massive amounts of bullshit that I just get confused and frustrated at and don't want to bother with. Uh, give me give me that one layer. And I think that Dark Deity is a game that uh, basically has like one quarter of a bullshit. It's got like a weapon switching system. And other than that, this is an RPG where you move characters and you hit things with them and you go up and you change your classes when you get to levels 10 and 30. And that's sometimes all I want. I don't want to deal with all these layers of bullshit. I am. Um, for me, it's not there. I, I agree. There's a lot of directness. I think for me, it's also, though, and, and this is the thing I run into a lot with with games like this is. Um, I'm a hypocrite on a lot of things, <laughs> and one of the things I'm hypocritical about uh, or I or basically like create a, a thing that nothing there's no way to make me happy on this point. <laughs> if your game has a lot of numbers and what the numbers do is like super granular or really obscure, I find that frustrating because it's like, well, then they might as well not even be there. Right. Like I'm not really making any decisions based on those numbers. So to hell with them. I don't care. Like it's stat systems that aren't like readily parsable and easy to do the math in your, your head on. They don't really do a lot for me. I don't fully get the point. On the other hand, uh, if a game sort of uh, like dispenses with that and creates like really simple uh, direct interactions. Sometimes I will. I'm very likely to be like, yeah, it seems pretty, almost too straightforward, right? There's no, uh, th- there, there's no gradients of outcome or calculation to be doing. I feel like Dark Deity squarely falls into this tradition where it certainly wants to create the impression that there's a lot happening under the hood, and that a lot of like pretty straightforward decisions are in fact a little bit more uh, shaded, where you have you know, anytime you have a character go up to attack somebody, you actually have four different flavors of attack uh, you can you can use that are keying off of different stats and also key off different weapons that you've equipped your squad with. And the thing I rapidly ran into with Dark Deity is that this is kind of one of the first areas where people tend to get a little specialized. And so I kind of started wondering, like, well, what's what's really the point of doing it this way like what's what's being added by the fact that like 
each of these characters has a menu of four options they're going to choose from. And almost certainly only two of those options are ever going to be viable for this character. Um, no matter how them and their target match up. Um, and that's, that's, that's kind of like dark deity in a nutshell for me, where there is a lot of, uh, there is a lot of granularity. There are a lot of numbers in this game. Uh, this game showers your characters with levels and skill points. And I'm like, that's great. Number go up. Awesome. <laughs> and then it feels the exact same. It's like, well, that didn't also didn't matter when number go down me sad, but not really inconvenienced. Well, I think there's a, there's two points that I want to get to. The first is that like, okay, you're a you're a person who plays lots of strategy and tactics games with lots of numbers on the screen, either good or bad, Rob. What are games where those numbers are hit a sweet spot where it feels like there's the right amount of complexity and the right amount of transparency for you to understand and be like, I like the numbers in this game. You know, Battletech had good numbers, right? Because like because like the stat line kind of the numbers were manageable and they connected really directly to what was like doable on the battlefield and how things would be calculated. I think that's like, I guess numbers were fairly low and there were also some pretty clear thresholds uh, that matter. And I think that's kind of, if I had to say what's my sweet spot, it's probably something like that. Now, Battletech mechanically is doing something completely different, right? It is basically saying this is how you you specialize your your characters uh, for for much of the game. Uh, but in this game, I, I did kind of find myself. Um, I guess the way I'd put it is the characters were distinct from each other, but it felt like those distinctions were pretty independent of the choices I was making with the character, and had a lot to do with how the character was just sort of baked from the moment they join your party and then also a lot of the distinction just came from how they are personified uh in the story which i don't yeah. want to get to I'll, I'll i'll i will agree jumping back to uh rob was talking about the different attacks that was the one area i was like i why why are you doing it this way like i i i just I, I feel like with some of the simplicity that they had sort of baked into the game as a whole, that it was probably just better to just be like, okay, if you have this weapon, this is the type of attack you do and just leave it at that. Because I I didn't necessarily feel like it one, it took me a little while to wrap my head around it. And then two, I didn't necessarily feel like it was particularly useful uh, making that choice uh in the middle of combat um i think and then I, yeah go ahead i think four options was too many two or three probably would have been the better way to go like yeah. i don't i didn't get a really strong impression of which stats were being like picked up on by each one probably because there were a, uh one or two too many different options i just looked to see which one had the numbers that i liked uh that's that is i think a thing yep. that made the game work at some level, but also kind of made it annoying at another level because like 
RPGs have tended to move towards, since the late 90s, an idea of having different choices for different attacks, different cooldowns, different combat moves for every character. It's not just you walk up to something and you bonk it with your one attack. It's that you have, you know, fighters can cast the function of spells. They're usually called like martial arts or something else. But everybody has these cooldowns. Everybody has these special moves and so on. Um Dark Deity is sort of like moving back towards the, you know, just walk up to somebody and hit them on the head idea, but also giving everybody these different attacks with their different weapons. Um, and this ends up putting like spells and uh, spells and regular attacks on the same on the same playing field. But while it ends up offering this kind of illusion of choice. There's a little bit too much illusion of choice. In particular, um, mentally, I just like, every time I wanted to fight somebody, I scrolled through all four choices every time, even though like I knew that one of them was probably going to be sufficient. Just something in my brain said, to go through the illusion of choice here. And the illusion of choice is not necessarily a bad thing, but four of them every time for a relatively fast-playing RPG yeah like alden uh, like just to pick one character is like never going to choose two of those attacks it's just he's not built for it it's it's never going to be his thing now that did uh, not stop me from trying oh but poor alden why would you do that to him? I, I was i was like surely surely this game wouldn't just create the illusion of choice so that you'd be like i'm a tactics genius by choosing his good attacks and then i was like no this guy sucks at this yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's that's kind of clever. I don't know. I wrote an article about the illusion of choice for you a couple months ago, Rob. Like, I, I'm doesn't mean I'm I very agree much in with favor it. Of it. <laughs> yeah, and there's there's definitely uh, also as Rob was saying, like sort of how the characters are baked sort of determines where they land. Like uh, certain characters have definitely, at least in my party, ended up being. Uh, the ringers just because they came in like that. Oh, um, for sure. Yeah, I think. I think the other thing is that it's difficult to connect, mentally connect the choices that you're making with those those um, different attacks with what the choices you've made, like when you're leveling the characters up, what classes you're giving them, which of the like magic rocks you give them that can kind of customize them further down a specific path. Like, all of the attacks are color-coded, but nothing else is color-coded, right? Um, it's like, if I, maybe a character is really good at the green attack, which I think is usually the speed attack, but I don't get the impression when I'm, like, going up a class with that character that one of those classes is necessarily going to be in favor of the speed attacks. I'm going to have to sit down and puzzle out and do that math myself. And also get some random number generator luck or not. And also just like care um, at a level that I'm not sure is. Uh, that's a that's a strong way to put it. It's that when I saw the list of classes, which is great. I love the way that they do the classes in this for the most part. Um, my initial instinct was I can make one character each different class here, and I'm going to be really happy having one of each class. 
and that may not line up with how they want you to build the characters. And I think it also may just be a level of complexity that isn't really necessary unless you're playing on higher difficulties, which I, I don't think I was. I think I was playing on the, like, you know how to play tactics games difficulty. I was definitely playing it on the middling difficulty. It was like, do you just want to have a nice time and only do a little bit of thinking? And I was like, yeah, that sounds about right. Um, and that's kind of this game. Um, yeah. But I, but I will say, Rowan, and I'm, and I'm curious where you came down on this, Mike. Um, when we were chatting about this game earlier, I think Rowan and I were both in a similar place. I don't know if we diverged since then. Of It was like not quite a completely absent-minded time waster of a game but it was very much a just leaning back and just like playing light tactics right like it was very uh you know you know i feel like i'm gonna put some bubble bath in the water tonight and i'm just gonna enjoy <laughs> uh, i'm gonna treat myself and that was kind of dark deity and i actually have i've i've, I've come i've come around on a little bit in that um I think there's more going on here than initially appears. I think this is a game that it is very hard to actually screw yourself, right? Like this is a hard game to truly enter a failure spiral. Um, but it's it's also a hard game to win cleanly. I notched a lot of ugly wins in sh like as the campaign began to ramp up. I started finishing a lot of battles with like a depleted squad and, and the game wrist slaps you for this, right? It's like, oh no, like because of this, someone's got a one point uh, debuff on the stat or something. And in this game, that just does not matter, right? Like it, because the numbers are so forgiving and fungible, it's like, oh, someone's got, uh, you know, huh, someone's got a like a, a, a bum knee. Uh, it doesn't really matter. Uh, I had a character lose a movement point, and that actually was kind of major. But again, it still wasn't that uh, debilitating. But where, where what I started to realize was it was a game that was very much saying, like, if I wanted to win a flawless victory, I actually had to work pretty hard for that. I had to really, like, plan out my turns to make that work. It wasn't as kind of throwaway as, as I initially thought. It just wasn't punishing. Um, and I thought that was an interesting decision because I think so often like in maybe not just tactics games, but games uh, writ large. And I know we're treading dangerously close to difficulty discourse here, so I apologize. <laughs> um, but so often it does feel like, well, if a game isn't punishing, we don't know if it's challenging. Um, and here, I think as the game goes on, it does get a little challenging. It just has zero interest in saying you can't progress. And that I find interesting. Uh, I mean, I guess even even some I, uh, some maps I feel like with certain characters can definitely uh, steamroll, uh, like just like characters doing absurd damage. Uh, Sia is one of them. Irving, yeah. who's the main character. Uh, Alden. Good old Alden. Uh, depending on your build uh like you can screw them up but if you choose like the right path for them they will pretty much uh just destroy even some you know larger uh, uh opponents uh but yes there are moments where you'll probably uh maybe push a little bit too i i remember i started playing in the very beginning like the very first time and i uh, that first tutorial map and i pushed irving too far forward 
and then he just got slaughtered and i was just like okay okay all right so so let's let's not push too far forward let's let's figure out the movement ranges to draw them in a little bit without getting one character absolutely murdered and once i got over that uh like occasionally i would lose like one or two people uh which uh as rob says isn't ultimately all that punishing um i i'd admit it probably isn't punishing in fire emblem for me because i don't as soon as they stopped uh making permadeath the only option like that that's how i played <laughs> so um i i i'd say that yeah it, it feels like a slap on the wrist when you do lose a character but even then some of the later ones once i got my my main squad like on the right side of things i was just destroying people uh so that's and i mean i don't know where sword and axe have come from if this is their first game like i mean learning balance is uh like a completely different thing from just building a game so maybe this is their first thing and and that's completely understandable I mean, I, I tend to agree with Rob, though, that I think this was the balance that they wanted. Like, this is this is a game that is set up to play quickly once you figure out, like, kind of how it's supposed to be played. But that doesn't mean there aren't things happening. And right. I think that's like, you know, once you get your model of how you want to run your combats in a civilization or in you know, any kind of game with like a light tactics you tend to like get into that groove and you stick with it and that's something that can be the game's responsibility to try to push you out of if you're trying to play the game for its difficulty but also if you're just trying to look for a smooth experience then that's fine and like i think one of the one of the things that I try to push for is that like not every game has to be super special. Not every game has to make you think, wow, this game did, you know, something incredibly special that makes, uh, made me think about games in an entirely different way. It's like, no, sometimes a game is just a nice experience and it is putting just enough difficulty to make me think about things. It's solving one of Fire Emblem's biggest problems by having characters die uh, or characters when they die have like a slight stat debuff that yeah. you probably don't want, but is not so bad that you instantly restart the game every time it happens, um, which is extremely key because, you know, the last two, maybe even three Fire Emblem games I've played have been the only thing I dislike about them is that they have no fucking idea how to deal with difficulty. And I have no fucking idea how to like set the options so I can be happy with its crappy idea of what difficulty is. And this is a game that I will just sit down and play. And if like I lose, you know, more than two characters on a mission, or if I lose a character that I'm trying to build up on a mission, which is the real punishment that they're no longer getting the experience from fighting, then yeah, I, I might restart that map. But it feels like a choice that I can make depending on how I feel versus the game basically saying, ha ha, you're screwed forever. Um, and that's really good. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I mean, yes, this is probably the balance they wanted similar to like 
Disgaea being uh, like Disgaea wants you to build super stream steamroll trains. Like that's how the game is sort of built. Uh, and and most of the difficulty comes from either being in the poor position or the enemies just being super powerful. Um, so I guess, this, it, yeah, they could have wanted this like this. I, I do feel that there's definitely some, uh, not training wheels, but, you know, first time out uh, design yeah. choices, especially in like map design where I'm mm-hmm. like, <laughs> um where i think that they could improve and, and uh damage types is another one where i feel like uh, maybe we have too many damage types here or or something like that i i think the game's also just a little bit too long um i i did not really get back to it after we'd set up the show um uh, so i was you know i think in the early 20s uh in terms of levels and just starting to really get into the the quest to go find a bunch of fancy rocks um but i was starting to feel like this game is just a little bit too much of the same stuff every time and uh rob said when he went back and went further that uh, he was sort of feeling that it, it becomes a lot more of a grind as it continues yeah i um I think some like I think um, there's a few things there, Mike. When you talk about the the map design, I, I agree. I think one issue this game runs into is that um, in terms of tactics, like where this game seems to work best and what it seems to be designed for, is uh, you know what what Troy has talked about, like the dance of units that you see in like a Panzer General or a Panzer Corps type game, where like everything starts to get very congested. And so it matters a great deal the exact order in which people move into a space and attack. And like the the key is to sort of figure out how to sequence your turns in a way that you keep opening up new spaces uh, to attack from and to keep moving through the enemy line and then somehow end that with your tankiest units in the exposed positions who can do uh, either soak damage or like uh, get... uh, really good counterattack damage off while your squishier units are, are sheltered. That's where the game works. Um, and that's where it's probably best. And then this game makes the decision. What if these maps were just enormous? What <laughs> if, you know, this game sings when it's all dense and everyone's just in the, in the thick of it. What if every battle multiple times you had to spend three or four turns just transiting empty space? Um, and it's kind of like it's kind of shocking they went this way. And I think I think the reason they do it is because they're kind of also trying to encourage you. Uh, you get. You perform better the faster you get the the battle done um, and you get more rewards for uh, getting the battle done quickly. Um, though I always felt pretty amply rewarded no matter what happened. But I think they're trying to get you to like split up and try to rush more parts of the map uh all at once um rather than sort of keep your units in a big cluster and just kind of uh steamroll the map and you know what the literal worst thing you could do in this game is splitting up any time for any reason yep (laughs) yep real early the game's like hey you know what was stupid doing that thing where your army split up um like at any point, and like it's also that this is a fire emblem like 
friends uh, mechanic where yes. when your characters are near each other and they do things, they get little hearts that go up above them saying you made slightly more friends with each other. And then you get nice little discussions that they have. And um, that makes you really, really never want to split those characters. Yeah, if, you're, if your dolls on the are on the other side of the map from each other, you can't make them kiss. Um. <laughs> yeah, there, there, and there are certain maps that, like, early on, there's one that's like a gladiatorial arena, um, but probably like mid to late game, there's like one map against a dragon. There's one that's up on a stone platform in the middle of water, uh, and then the most egregious is I want to say it's like chapter twenty, maybe where all of your characters start on a platform in the center and there are enemies to the left and right and all you have to do is escape. But it's just literally all of your characters on a platform in the center and then nothing. Just a huge expanse of nothing. And it's like some of the some of those map choices are just baffling uh, compared to some of the ones where like you're in a city... And maybe, you know, there are more choke points and there's more tactical decision as to who uh, blocks a point or who goes in first or something like that. Um, And it's odd because then there are some maps. uh, There's one map fairly early on that has a bunch of portals. And I was like, oh, this is this is a pretty interesting idea. And then they like never visit revisit that mechanic (laughs) again. And I was just like, what? Uh, why 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 wouldn't you do this more often i it's it's so weird the portals were a cool idea too because they re they remixed your squad composition on the fly so like different parts of the squad would be portaled to different places on the map so like different combinations would appear in different parts of the map it was a cool idea uh and yeah they do kind of get away from it for a while um i think another thing is that this game was made in game maker and it sort of feels like there are certain things that they realized that they could do, the developers realized that they could do within that constraint. And they're like, okay, that's going to be a level. We can do portals. We can do, you know, bad guys knocking on an aqueduct that you have to beat within a certain time frame. But also there's only so many things that they could actually do. There's a constraint that, Sometimes feel like it was it, you know, managed to improve the art in some ways and sometimes just felt like, okay, these constraints kind of suck. So we're just having, you know, a big empty map and a bunch of bad guys running at you. Yeah. And and uh, like I said, a lot of the uh, number of the later levels are just like stick out because I'm just like, like I get the point that you were going for, but I don't understand why you built the map like this. Uh, especially with it, with the kind of mechanics that you had. Cause like that one map, I, I, again, I want to say it's like chapter 20. There's just so much movement before any combat actually happens. Uh, and there's clearly like one side of the map that you're supposed to be exiting on. So I just like, I was just baffled when I got there. Yeah. Um. So going back to the point though about like characters, uh, sort of being distinguished and like how they feel, both in terms of like 
as you develop them, but also how the game hands them off to you. Um, it does kind of feel like there's some characters that just show up and like, yep, here's another badass. Here's the this is the character that's going to define this archetype for you. And every other version of this archetype will be comparatively dog shit. Uh, and so it's like there's my good rogue awesome and then there's my trash rogue all right and it's it's also that um like the good ones are almost always the ones that you start the game with that you have that feel of we are starting an adventure with each other i know these characters they're not like add-ons that randomly wander in later that i don't care about yeah Um, it's like get the fuck out of here benji (laughs) <laughs> i try i'm trying so hard to make benji competent and it's just not working benji uh, piece of shit <laughs> yeah um uh, but also irving but also like the way that um you you choose the classes for new characters like right as you get them and right. most of the time when you choose the classes it tells you like which stats become more likely to improve with which class. So if you see, okay, Irving is becoming like a strength and endurance monster, I am going to maybe add some agility, but also mostly focus on making his strength and endurance even better so he can kick further ass that way. And that's something that I develop over the course of the game with this character. Um, And the only thing that I'm choosing when he goes up the class are those percentages of which stats are likely to be better or worse. Um, when you get a new character, it's they have like a set of a set of stats that already exist, and then those stats change depending on which class you pick. So you have to try to figure out which class is going to be the best with the stats changing like before your eyes in a way that's. Uh, like I like I said with the weapon stuff, it feels like it's connected to other things in ways that I can't necessarily parse. So I end up just picking. Okay, I already have a knight. I'm picking a barbarian this time, or whatever the whatever the the class options there are. And then Benji ends up being not a very good barbarian, where I know that Irving is a knight who will just absolutely destroy everything in his path. And right. or like uh, uh, Sarah is one of my lower tier magicians just like i i don't even know why you're here sarah you're you're the you're you're i mean you, you're you, here but it, why? it seemed like you were important to the plot but like <laughs> you were introduced as like some second of super badass and then you're just kind of a a mediocre magician who my characters <laughs> surpassed within like two combats of you actually joining this is this is a little weird i think the um, other thing for me is that yeah one the Rowan, that is exactly that is exactly on point often the game is like man this person is just one of the most experienced like crack killers of this class and i'm sitting there like really because it feels like i got a ben simmons situation here <laughs> um oh, where that's harsh. Just, yeah yeah maybe maybe too harsh but benji, still. benji simmons passing up dunks in order to play with his uh his corn cobs or whatever. But yeah, I mean like the entire chapter five squad are all introduced character wise as Brooke, Sarah, and some Samara. Sarah, Sarah's sister, yeah, Samara, I think is right. Yeah. That entire squad, like they're introduced to like these they're they're gonna be cool. And they're all 
horrible. Like I, they're just horrible after, after another couple of chapters, everyone else has surpassed them and they're not even worth my time to field. Yeah. Brooke, I managed to make an interesting character where she didn't do much damage, but she would never, ever, 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 ever get hit. So <laughs> that, that I managed to get something out of, but yeah. Um, yeah. Sarah and Samara are like supposed to be the, like they have some of the better art in the game that makes them look like they're, you know, super powerful magicians. And instead it's like, here's a supplemental healer and here's a magician who is worse than every other magician. Well, and I think the other, um, well, you know, another dynamic of this is, is that I find the characters just in terms of like, as people to hang out with at camp also seems really uneven. And some of the relationships don't even seem to really, <sighs> I know that's a little bit this is maybe a little arbitrary given that this game is so uh visual novel-esque when it comes to character interactions but the weird thing is and I'm, I'm a novice of the genre I don't know the genre very well uh, so like Fire Emblem's Three Houses looms very large in my imagination but when I think about that character relationships developed really convincingly for me over the course of that game where like each time characters ranked up a uh their relationship it didn't feel like they were just being mashed together in scenes to force them to develop rapport. Oftentimes the, the story beats did both establish them better as characters and define them better as characters, but also sold me a little bit more on the relationships they were building across the squad. And in this, I think it's aspiring <laughs> to be that. I think it's aspiring to sort of connect who characters are, uh, from in terms of the battlefield versus who they are in camp and who they are with their with their peers. But it just didn't work across the board for me. There were so many there were so many relationships that just felt like they were completely fizzling. Um, and that there was like a honestly it felt like there was a core of characters that do have relationships that were like plotted out and like there's an arc there to have happen and they and they are tied together with their with their stat line and their RPG class. Uh, and then it felt like there was just a lot of like B and C grade material uh, sort of lumped in there. And I think that's another thing that kind of held me back from embracing this game where, well, in, in, a fire, in Fire Emblem Three Houses, I will field characters because I do want to see what is their next step with these other in these relationships. What do they become as they develop more? Um, here, I started wishing that I could just edit it down, right? And like, can we just focus on half as many of these characters and see what what happens with them? And I don't have to bother with the rest of these people at all. Yeah. yeah uh, oh, go ahead, bro. I mean, like at a certain point, it felt like I, I said that it was neat that we had like a character for each class, and there's like there's like a core class archetype. Where, you know, it's like, here's the fighter, here's the rogue, here's the the wizard, here's the cleric, and a few others. Um, and then there's two layers of four each after that. So basically, there are four characters for each archetype. But there are like, I don't know, like six different archetypes, which leads to 24 characters. It might even be seven. Um and 24 characters is a lot to juggle when you're trying to make them all be friends. 
or 20 characters or 28 or 32 or whatever it ends up being like i think anything over 16 uh is uh if we're continuing to go by fours but really anything over like 10 or 12 is like yeah i'm going to have a hierarchy here of the characters that i give a shit about and that i can recognize that the game actually gives a shit about and everyone else just seems to be in there to make up the numbers and then the relationships as you discussed rob each character only has eight people that they can have relationships with and some of those seem to be really arbitrary like okay i don't remember the the archer guy who shows up uh like uh, once you start once you start realizing that the entire war is fake there's a, a deserter from the other side who ends up joining you um just can't remember his name but it seemed like oh this guy's really cool he's got a really interesting backstory but it just seems like the characters that he could be friends with were chosen at random and he just disappeared from my thoughts almost instantly (laughs) um that aspect of the game i i could talk a little more about this in a minute mike go ahead uh, I I mean I my my thing is I was a little down on some of the characterization uh, makeup of the characters in Fates and Three Houses, uh, but Dark Deity shows that that's actually kind of hard that that Fire Emblem yeah. across those two games can make as many characters uh, interesting to where. I bring them along, not necessarily for their tactical advantage, but because that's my best boy and he needs to be on the field because I love him. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, Whereas there, there aren't as many, like the core cast is fine. They're, they're pretty stock generic archetypes. And some of the other ones are, kind of interesting but like there are very few characters that i'm like oh i i I absolutely just love this character um and again that's that's i I think partially on the fact that this is like probably a first-time developer as opposed to to the teams at intelligent systems who are like oh i this is what we need to hit like we need to make sure uh, here's our chart of like 20 different archetypes. Make sure we get a character, at least one character in, in all of these spots. Um, uh, and, and so like, I, 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 I would hold, I mentally hold it against them, but I probably shouldn't, but yeah. Yeah. Well, I just went to the website and clicked about us and there are six people there. So yeah so so yeah this is like a first time developer they got six people uh maybe one of them is has done writing before maybe this is their first time uh and so that's kind of the thing that you learn with experience um but it it definitely made me go like oh i was kind of hard on on parts of fates and three houses i apologize for that like yeah go back to to intelligent systems like i'm sorry guys I, I do not apologize. Fates, I think, was a total misstep. And, you know, I am pro Three Houses in general, though it has, it, as mentioned, the difficulty is a major, major issue. But yeah, Fates deserves all the criticism it gets, probably. Um, <laughs> okay, it's probably not like being too woke or whatever, but there's uh, 
I, I haven't actually seen that. I'm just assuming somebody somewhere did it because they always do. Um, so the thing that I wanted to get at is that we're kind of complaining about the specifics of a lot of these decisions and it's not necessarily wrong. Like they are, they are things that we can go and nitpick and hopefully if the dark deity people listen to this, that they will, you know, see, see areas where they can improve in the future. But I think, um, the game is pleasantly sloppy as a way that I would describe it. Like, yeah, it does feel like a first time, maybe maybe not from this team. I'm not sure about what they've done before, but like their first attempt at doing this style of game. And there's a lot of like ideas that they seem to be excited about. They want to have a lot of levels. They want to have a lot of characters. They want to have a lot of uh, weapons that you can attack with and stats and all these things. Some of these things may not be necessary, but also there is a charm to how how much it's just excited to push these things forward and be like here's your next archer hooray and here's a new new map where we figured out some direction for the plot to go and maybe there's a little bit too much it doesn't all work but a lot of games that i play feel like over designed where you have exactly these characters who fit exactly these roles and they have to be used in exactly these ways. And um, there are game mechanics that get increasingly complex because they figured out like, here's, you know, here's the needle that you pull. And when this changes, everything else does as well. And so now you have to really pay attention to this one stat that you didn't realize that you had to pay attention to the first five games you started. Um, Yeah, I, I was trying to do something with old world here. Uh, <laughs> I, I assume that that was a source of discussion on that show. I haven't listened to it yet, but it's everything feels super important in old world. And that's like really neat. It's intellectually fascinating. It's something that makes the game appeal to me, but it's also kind of exhausting where this game is like as a, charmingly sloppy it's it's a game that does have a few too many characters and mentally i can just say yeah i don't really care that much about this guy or i'm only going to focus on these characters and their relationships and this is this is a part of the game that may be why i stopped but i got like you know 15 20 hours of enjoyment about it and that's okay i'm i'm happy with that level of engagement with a game that is not demanding that i go in and assume that all its systems are perfectly well connected and therefore I need to be an expert on every single one of them. I'd agree. And, and given the, the price tag um, and, and also the general rarity, like no one else is quite making games like this. Uh, like there's another, there's a game out there that is essentially advance wars uh but it is uh kind of uh what what's the word i would use a pervy I, it, it's essentially like you know uh waifu based uh, mm. uh bait uh, in terms of uh, advanced wars and then of course we're getting advanced wars but it's not like we have a ton of these style of games so dark deity sort of doing the old school and even fire emblem isn't quite 
old school Fire Emblem. So a game that's doing that, even if it's a little bit sloppy and haphazard in some spots, is still something that's kind of interesting and, and worth supporting. Yeah, there is a trend in PC tactics games recently, I've noticed, towards a kind of simple tactics. Um, there was uh, the one that Inkle put out, uh, Pendragon. Um and then a few others that are like, we think that tactics, tactics games are a really good way to like do narrative focused uh, storytelling, which is interesting. Um, there's another one with Animal Tanglewood. Yeah. No, I think that's an, is that an adventure? I don't know. Um, but yeah, there, there have been a few of those that I've seen that I've only played a bit of. Then there's, Wildermyth, which I just reviewed for IGN, um, that is a lot more complicated than this, um, just in terms of how its systems and stuff interact. But um, it's still an attempt to use a tactics game to tell a lot stronger narrative stories. And Dark Deity, like, it's coming at this from the kind of JRPG descent, uh, but it is slotting into this idea that yeah these games don't have to be hard they don't have to be tremendously systems based they could just be like you know for everyone to go in and have a little romp with their um with their mage and thief buddies yeah i think yeah i think i'm basically with you it's very odd to come to the end of a show uh It's weird to say something. It's fine that something is fine. You know what I mean? Like I'm sitting here and being like, surely we can't leave it there, right? Like, surely this game just can't be okay. And like, yeah, it's a it's a pleasant way to while away, you know, an afternoon or a morning. But honestly, like one, most games fail to clear that bar, right? Right. Uh, and two, there's also a lot of games that I play less than I'm probably play otherwise because they are so they ask so much because they want you to be on your game so much that you're like i can't play that like i i'm sorry like i woke up i only slept like six hours last night five hours last night uh and it's been a shitty day so far i can't i can't possibly play that i'm not on my game enough and there's a lot of times where like do i want to play a tactics game yes do i want to play a hard tactics game no. <laughs> what I want to do is I want to move my little chessmen around the board and watch them whoop ass and feel like there's just enough pushback that I still have something to engage with. And there's still stuff to think about and, and, and work through in your head, but also not to feel like the thing I hate more than any, anything in a tactics game is the feeling that, you're always one choice away from being completely hosed. Like there are games that I love that do sort of impose that kind of limit on you, but I'm not going to pretend that the most pleasant thing about dark deity for me was the fact that there was a lot of cushion. There were some, there were some high guardrails between me and actual trouble. And that made it very easy to sort of choose this game during my free time um just because a lot of the things it was competing against 
were frankly just asking too much of that moment or or felt like they could be too much of a commitment uh for me and dark deity being like hey come on in uh do you want to watch these uh slightly overly broad anime caricatures uh go on a go on an adventure together and you want to lead them through this war where they're never in very much danger and i was like that sounds great that sounds fantastic let me add it uh but then of course i did go away because probably the stories uh the the characters and the battles themselves were over the long haul not compelling enough to keep me occupied keep me coming back but i stuck with it longer than i would have otherwise uh in part because it was so chill is the only word i can use for it i mean like we wanted to do a show on this game and like there's nothing in this game we had some other people in the discord who were trying to play it they're like that's it and it's like yeah that's it and that's great we wanted that's it that's it it is what it is and it's pretty good and that's uh not something that's imposing it's yeah and uh, that's that's why like it, when nintendo announces advance wars one and two remakes people are excited because they're relatively light and accessible tactic strategy games like people can wrap their heads around tactic strategy but sometimes they don't want to sit in there and and dive into character builds and the correct armor and the correct uh stat allocations in order to to be particularly useful sometimes they just want to like get a little army of their favorite characters and move them around the map and watch them hit each other and like advance wars and old fire emblem and games like dark deity actually hit that space pretty well the other thing is that like a lot of these games were designed for handhelds and dark deity i hope is doing well enough that they port to switch because it's the sort of game that like anyone that i've mentioned it to has been like why isn't this on switch um (laughs) And that's that seems like a thing where, yeah, this is this is a game that you should be able to just pick up and go out and sit in the sun with. Uh, so that's we're, we're doing our part by doing this show, albeit two months after release. But uh, hopefully some people uh, manage to see this and get excited about it in that way. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I do think, by the way, like with, you know, Mike, you alluded to it's. I also don't know much about the developer, but I feel like it's not that far off from being a significantly better game than it is either. Like there's, I do not think that much would have to be different for me to be approaching this with a really different reaction. Um, I think if the story held my interest a little more effectively, that would do a lot. Um, If the design of the levels didn't cut against the game's best, features uh that would also probably have have done a lot because like the the, a big part of the slog that that kept me away was that was the fact that it was like hey just move these guys across the map for like hours and i was like absolutely not i'm i I need to (laughs) tap out now um so like i would i'm definitely when when a dark deity 2 shows up um i'm definitely be eager to see what's different and and where where they go with it um and for people who are looking for that 
looking for that uh, game that scratches that itch of like laid back lighter tactics. I think Dark Deity is one of the more interesting options this year, certainly. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would definitely agree with that. There's another uh, game that is similar, but it's a bit more complex and probably not as uh, aesthetically pleasing uh, called Rise Eterna, uh, which is also very much the the um, Fire Emblem, old school Fire Emblem style tactics game. Um, so it definitely shows in the similar way that Dark Deity makes me appreciate uh, some of the current Fire Emblem games a little bit more. Yeah. A game like Rise of Turna makes me appreciate what Dark Deity is a bit more. Um, in terms of like, oh, so, well, this is where it could have gone wrong, per se. Ouch. <laughs> it's just burying rise of turna not not to say that rise of turna is horrible it's just there are some areas hey mike why don't you clean up on this why don't you find the game that makes rise of turna look good let's just keep digging (laughs) like deeper and deeper you know now rise of turna may have sounded like i thought that was a piece of shit but let me tell you about this other thing i found on steam (laughs) it's it's true and also there's a lot of that because there's there's a lot of growth in um uh, indie Japanese and Chinese uh, developers starting to make games um, on PC. And so there's a lot of weird stuff. Like if you look, you'll find stuff like that. So uh, it, it can always be worse. And and Dark Deity is pretty good. Messy, but pretty good. Yeah, There's like the old Bioware model. Model is probably not the right word because I doubt they intended it this way. But the first game they do is like making sure they get all the tech right and um, showing that they have like a solid foundation. And then the second game, they actually start introducing interesting characters and actually doing interesting things with the the systems and the plot. Um happened with Baldur's Gate. It happened with Knights of the Old Republic. Uh, can argue that it happened with Mass Effect. Uh, definitely with the characters of Mass Effect, I'd say. Um, I would say it happened with Dragon Age 2. Liana would uh, yell at me for that, but that's okay. We've we've had that discussion many times. And, you know, that's, I think, a consistent thing that happens with RPGs for reasons of that's just what happens in the creative process of role-playing games. And yeah, if they if they do do a sequel or a, a similar tactics game, I would expect that um, some of the, some of the sort of boring edges would be made uh, more interesting. And some of the rough edges might be sanded out and you'd have a little more, a little more coherent of a package. And I think in this game, it's fairly easy to say that just, make it a little bit smaller, smaller maps, smaller number of characters, smaller number of choices, smaller number of relevant stats. And we're really onto something. All right. Well, I think, uh, with that, it's an endorsement. Yeah, absolutely. Like if you're in the checkout line at the grocery store, pick up dark deity, you won't yeah, be sorry. It? You brought it home. Someone's going to be like, damn, you brought dark deity home. Nobody's going to be angry. Everyone's going to have a nice that- weekend. This is that chocolate bar that you're like, you know, I could use a game that has some fun classes, which is why I played it. And that's a nice chocolate bar. 
All right. Well, Dark Deity, truly a nice chocolate bar. Uh, that will do it for this week. This episode was produced by Liana Hafer. Three Moves Ahead is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. You can learn more about the show and discuss this episode of the community at threemovesahead.net or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash 3MA. Finally, Three Moves Ahead is supported by listeners just like you on Patreon. This month, our $5 Patreon backers will hear me and Troy talking about two musicals that touch on... Uh, the final of the United States, the musical 1776 and Hamilton and what odd little works they are. Rowan, do you have something to add? Just oh dear Lord, that's sufficient. (laughs) Uh, So you can can check it out this month. Uh, Troy and I did have a really good conversation. Uh, We had a lot of fun um, and I promise it wasn't just nonstop dunks on Hamilton. Um, because we're both just enough uh, musical theater nerds to also kind of uh, enjoy the work that is that is going on there. Uh, so check it all out on patreon.com slash May. We'll be back next week with another episode of Three Moves Ahead. Until then, for Mike, for Rowan, this is Rob Zachney saying goodnight. <laughs>